just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, and relieve, because thy promise I believe. I come, I come. Let's hear the uh, words from Scripture today, which is from the fifth chapter of James. <clears throat> I think I'm supposed to be starting with the 13th, but I'm going to back it up a little bit because I have an off-the-cuff remark that I want to make. And since you know that God cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God. To your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language will not be used against you. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the Master. Believing prayers will heal you, and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you have sinned, you will be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Amen. All right, so the reason I backed up is this is, you know, when you get to be my age, you have these, these little things that get under your skin, and we live in a world that every once in a while they tick that thing in your skin, and, and this particular verse... Uh, reminded me of that. How many of you have been in jury trial or been called to do jury duty? Okay. All right. So you know that when you go into that jury room and before they've done the voir dire or all the questioning, all that kind of stuff, what do they make you do? They make you put your hand up in the air and they give you an oath. And it says, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but whatever that is, so help me God. I want you to know that your pastor has gotten in trouble every time I've been on jury duty. Because I will not say that. Because you won't ask God to help you to tell the truth. I will not swear an oath that I'm going to tell the truth. I believe what Scripture says. And Jesus also said that as, as he was teaching us. Is that you don't have to call on God to tell the truth, you know to tell the truth. Let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Because if you notice, when people start their prayers, they think because they've called on God, that prayers somehow become magic formulas. And that's why we decided that during Lenten season that we were going to talk about prayer and study prayer, what it was about. And one of the best quotes that I have seen thus far in all of our studying about prayer is the fellow who said, look, when you pray, you do not pray to get God 
to do anything. You pray to God so that God will change you. And think about that. Remember the story of the paralytic? We just talked about it just a couple weeks ago, right? He's on that mat. He's frozen. He can't do anything. And yes, in lots and lots of churches, it gets preached uh, as a time of physical healing. Because he was frozen in place, and then there's the whole thing around his buddies. But what was it that Jesus said to him first? Your sins are forgiven. And then he ordered him to take his mat and go home. How many of us forget in our prayer life that it is about us? That's the reason that we're talking to God. It's about us. What in us needs to change? And the other interesting thing is, when I was doing the uh, exegetical work here, Reverend, getting ready for this message today, I came across the word, uh, you know, uh, about healing. You want to know something interesting? When you go back and you look up that word for the sick, you know, we, we immediately, don't you if, you, if you think somebody is sick, you immediately what? Is it the cold, flu, cancer? What is it? You know, that's it. we immediately go to the physical. Well, when I stumbled across this word, I looked it up. You'll notice as we read this, that if there are sick among you, who does James tell you to go to? The elders. Yeah. Doesn't tell you to go to God. Why do you think James would sit there and tell people, if you're sick, if you're physically ill, it's God that's going to heal you, right? Well, it appears that there is a problem with the English language and the way that we have translated that word. Because the original Greek word for that, are you sitting down? Actually means to be weak. Now, I know that if we're physically ill, we can be weak. It weakens us. The, oh, my God. I mean, the people that I've talked to that have had the flu. Lord, have mercy. People that are in recovery for cancer any kind of surgery. You are weak. But I want you to think about what we're praying about and what James said. When we pray for healing. If the way that they were thinking about this at the time that they wrote it, it was about weakness. We're not asking for the cancer to disappear. What we are asking for is strength. And it's in that strength. How many times have we been told throughout our lives that as, if we are positive, if we are full of life, that that all by itself is pretty healing? How many people do you know that have all kinds of challenges in their life? I mean just, they're just overwrought. If it isn't one thing, it's something else. And their prayer for healing that we hear, we think they're looking for physicality, but in fact, they're looking for strength. Now, I told the, I told the staff yesterday that anytime the pastor says something that kind of throws a curve at you from where you're coming from theologically, that the first thing that you ought to think about 
is the space that the pastor is coming from. And the space that the pastor is coming from, when I read these things, is from the fact that God, when God created us, gave us what? Free will. That we have the responsibility for how we live within the creation of God. And that God is more than happy to be a participant in that life as much as we have that relationship with God. So when we're talking about praying, folks, we're not, you know, I think we, I, I really do, I think we waste a lot of time praying for other people to change. What is the, what was the saying of, uh, yes, yes, she smiled at me. <laughs> you know, really, what is, what, what is going to change? If we pray for people to change, what are we really saying? God, make me more comfortable with that person. God, I don't like the fact that they have free will and they've chosen to do things that I don't like. So change them. When in fact, if we take this lesson today, what prayer is about is no, God, change me. Help me be a person of justice. Help me be a person that is merciful. Help me walk humbly with you. You see, one of the interesting things about James, when he wrote this letter, it's kind of a corporate thing. He's really giving advice or instruction to the church rather than just individuals. So think about that. Do we confess to each other? No, we don't. And what does confession mean? I know what a lot of us think when we hear that word confession. We're sitting there going, I am not about to go to church on Sunday and tell them that I went out to the bar, got dead-ass drunk, and had to get a ride home from Uber, and then I had a fight with my partner because I was out too late. I will confess that to God in private. When do we find out, folks, that somebody has a drinking problem? When do we find out, really? Bingo. When they get out of jail, when they've lost their job, when they're coming to the church saying, hey, I need help with my rent money because I've lost my job. Oh, by the way, I've been kicked out of the house. Whereas if we take James's advice and we can be honest with each other and realize that there's help there, because what? Because why don't people tell people what's going on in their lives? Huh? Being judged, being judged. I don't want to be judged, and I don't need your help to fix it. Bingo. You know, I, I, I keep, uh, I, I tease Reverend LT that her and I are cut out of the same cloth. Amen? You run into a problem, or you see that challenge, and it's like, I will get through this. And the whole time you've been praying, God fix this, and God has been whispering in your ear, there are 12 people over there that can help you with this. In the meantime, it keeps getting worse because we're not listening that it's okay to take some help. It's okay to ask for help. But what's even more important in my mind is that the congregation, and this is the message from James, is the congregation has got to be willing to take on whatever it is that the congregation brings to one another. 
And you all know this. We have people in this congregation guaranteed. Do I want to say this out loud? No, I will say this out loud. There are people in this congregation that aggravate the crap out of you. They do. There are people in this congregation that I'm sure that when you're away from church and you're talking to people, that it's like, you know, they never contribute anything to church, but they certainly do take a lot. Amen? If we're going to be about the prayer style that James is talking about, we got to understand that that is what our job is as believers in Christ. It's to give away everything we got. No, I don't say that you take the last dollar out of your wallet, but you can certainly listen. You can certainly pray that God would offer you a way to help. Think about the politics in the world today and what's going on. The biggest problem with what's going on in the world today is nobody's praying and everybody's arguing. And not one of those prayers, if they are prayer, oh yeah, wait a minute, I forgot, I wrote a blog about this. <laughs> you know, my, my, yes, my, my argument with the politicians, they get out there in every catastrophe, they say, oh, we're praying. And it really strikes us as kind of fake, doesn't it? Because that's not their job. Their job is to fix whatever the problem is, amen? I don't want you praying for the homeless, Mr. Mayor. I want you providing shelter. You let me pray for what I'm going to do about the homeless. You understand the difference? But at any rate, they stand out there and they make all that, all these great things, and then they turn around and do what? Thank you. Billy Graham, God love him, told a story one time about this little girl who was very mad at her brother. Her brother was trapping rabbits, and she thought rabbits were cute little bunnies and should be as pets. Well, you know, her brother had the opposite uh, take on that. Rabbits made good food, <laughs> good stew. But she had gone to her brother, and she had asked him and asked him not to trap so many rabbits to stop trapping the rabbits. And then that didn't work, so she started praying to God. God, help my brother stop trapping so many rabbits. And then she went and told her mother what she had done. And her mother looked at her and said, well, you know, it's interesting that Johnny this week didn't, didn't have any rabbits that he trapped. So your prayer must have worked. And little Susie looked at him and said, yes, right after I prayed that, I helped God. I went and sprung all the traps. <laughs> right after you pray, take some action. That's part of this. Don't just pray there and sit there and wait for the rain to come. If it's within your bailiwick, make it rain. You know? And the final thing that I'm going to say about this is that I know we have people in this congregation right now that are completely and totally overwhelmed by the stuff in their life. Reverend, you're about to get there because you're taking all those courses if you aren't already there. Her wife this morning is dealing with leg pain. Matthew, if I believed in the devil, I would say that the devil's messing with my staff, amen? Because they're about to do some really good things 
on behalf of God and for what the ministry is about. And ever since they've made that decision, nothing but crisis has come their way. Amen. And why is that? It's not because anybody's trying to stop them. It is the way of the world. People who want to try to control you, situations that want to control you. So when we pray, ask God for the wisdom and the courage to get you through whatever challenge it is. I know that there's a point where you may want to give up, but my message to you, when you get to that point that you want to give up and stop, that's when you and God have got to have a heart-to-heart. -heart. How many times through Jesus' ministry did Jesus want to give up? I bet you it was a lot. And you know why I think I can say that? Because about every other story that you read about Jesus, what was he doing? He was running off to what? Pray. Folks, don't pray so that you can change God's mind about anything. Pray that God will change you, help you meet whatever challenge it is that you are faced with. One more story. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, back this up into James, the, the whole thing about the action with your prayer. Remember what James uh, chapter 2, 15 and 16 said. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed, what good is that? Just saying. Let's see. No, actually, yeah. don't pray for anybody. Pray with them. Amen? I, I think you just answered my question because I wanted to, that it's common that if, I would say, I say uh, I have experiences with uh, older members in church, uh, when they want to disagree with you in a nice, nasty way, they'll say, I'm going to pray for you. And right. you can just feel in the sentiment that 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 is not very affirming or accepting. And so the good response to that is that no, don't pray for me, let's pray together. Amen. I see. I mean it's that whole it's that whole idea where they sit there and go, uh you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. Uh-huh. Well, it, it's it's that same kind of I'm stuff. Pray for you. Right. <laughs> All right, so here's my final story this morning that kind of brings that home. Uh William Wright White writes a story about a fellow European seminarian whose professor was devastated by the death of his wife. Hans was so overcome with sorrow that he lost his appetite and he didn't want to leave the house. Out of concern, the seminary president, along with three other professors, paid Hans a visit. The grieving professor confessed that he was struggling with doubt. I am no longer able to pray to God, he admitted to his colleagues. In fact, I am not certain I believe in God anymore. After a moment of silence, the seminary professor said, then we will believe for you. We will pray with you. The four men continued to meet daily for prayer, asking God to restore the gift of faith to their friend. Some months later, 
As the four friends gathered for prayer with Hans, Hans smiled and said, It is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. But now you can pray with me because I understand that God never left me. His weak faith had been strengthened, and all four of them were encouraged. Mind you, it didn't happen overnight. That's the piece you need to hear in this. It didn't happen overnight. It took months. But the healing that he sought had finally come. That's what happens when we admit our struggles to one another. Our own faith is strengthened, and the whole church benefits. You know, this church has been through a lot. But hear this loudly and clearly. What has brought us this far is the ability, no matter what the challenge, is to pray with one another. To know that when you walk up to this pavilion on any given Sunday, you have indeed come home to a group of people that take you just as you are. God bless you.